encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. In preparation for looking at the truths summarized in article 23 of our confession, I'd like to read with you starting in verse 6 of Colossians 2, continuing just into the beginning of chapter 3. In Colossians Through the Apostle, the Lord speaks to His people who are tempted by religious deeds, religious actions, things that frankly look really good and maybe make them feel quite good because they feel like they're doing that which is religious, that which is pleasing to God, that which is holy. But he says there's a problem because they're trusting in those things. They're resting in those things rather than putting their hope where it belongs. And that's what this text reminds us, where our hope really needs to be set. Starting in verse 6, the apostle says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen. 
Now our confession in Article 23 echoes many of the admonitions we just heard. Saying we believe that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins for Jesus Christ's sake and that therein our righteousness before God is implied. As David and Paul teach us, declaring this to be the blessedness of man that God imputes righteousness to him apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And therefore we always hold fast this foundation, ascribing all the glory to God, humbling ourselves before him, and acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are, without presuming to trust in anything of our, in ourselves or in any merits of ours, relying and resting upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in him. This is sufficient to cover all our iniquities and to give us confidence in approaching God, freeing the conscience of fear, terror, and dread without following the example of our first father, Adam, who trembling attempted to cover himself with fig leaves. And verily, if we should, be, uh, should appear before God relying on ourselves or on any other creature, though ever so little, we should, alas, be consumed. And therefore, every one must pray with David, O Jehovah, enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, for two months now, our readings from the Belgic Confession of Faith have focused on God the Son and how He answers the problems that were created by our sin. But really all of that comes down to the question, how shall a sinful person be made right with God? By what means shall our sins be forgiven? In what way? Can we gain peace with God? Where shall we find true comfort, sure comfort, that will endure even through death? Because let's face it, those are really the questions that confront us as we live in this tumultuous world. And the answers to those questions are essential as we wrestle with the significance of the curse and how we can be restored to God from it. And yet the heart of the matter, the essence of the answer that God is given, has given can be summarized in a single sentence. Hear that. All of the pain and the struggle and the dysfunction of this world, all of the questions with which we wrestle in life, the answer to all of it can be summarized in one single sentence. And that is justification before God comes only through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the heart of the matter. That's the essence of what we must know and believe. So what else needs to be said? Well, there's one thing that needs to be emphasized from that sentence. Because you see, Satan is crafty. He wants us not necessarily to deny all of it. He doesn't 
tempt us very much with the denial of all of that truth. Because he knows that we would see through that. We would reject that. Satan is subtle in his temptations. And so rather than seeking to get us to deny Christ outright or to uh, pursue some other false god, like he does with the people of the world who don't know the truth of the Bible. Instead of that, Satan simply tries to get us to rely even a little bit elsewhere, whether on ourselves or on other people or something of the sort. Because he knows that if, if we turn our eyes just a little bit from Christ, we're still looking at him, but we're also looking elsewhere, not only will God be robbed of his glory, but we will be robbed of our confidence before God. And that we must never permit. And so Lord's Day, or Lord's Day, Article 23 reminds us, emphasizes for us, that our standing before God, our justification before the Lord, it relies only and entirely, solely and without exception on Christ and on Him alone. And that really summarizes the truth of how we're made right with God. We confess that God justifies us because of Christ alone. That's what we consider this morning. That's what wraps up our study really of how we're made right with God. And we begin by seeing how true faith, if we're to be saved, we're resting in Christ's sufficient merits. But to see that, we need to remember something we, we talked about last week, and that's the meaning, the significance, the import of justification. Our Belgic Confession uses the word salvation. It says, herein our salvation consists. But it's using that in the way that theologians formally typically use the word justification. Salvation typically involves all that is done to us from bringing us to sin to completely glorifying us in Christ. That's our salvation. But right at the heart of it all is justification. And what does justification consist of? Justification ultimately, which stands at the heart of our salvation, involves two things. The first of which is forgiveness of sin. We have seen abundant evidence as we've studied the confession. We've seen abundant evidence from Scripture and from our own lives that we are all sinful and that our sin separates us from God. Adam acted on our behalf when he committed that first sin. So before we do anything right or wrong, good or bad, we're already condemned before God because Adam acted on our behalf. But then we all ratify that, don't we? We see the, the right thing to do, we see the proper thing to do, and we choose the wrong thing. Right? We act rebelliously against God, and we fail to act, we decline to act in a way that is submissive and obedient to God. And because God is holy, He cannot overlook that rebellion. He has to punish it. He has to hold it accountable. Until we're forgiven... Until that sin is, is dealt with and removed, we are prisoners of sin's debt. Scripture says, both Old Testament and New, that the, the cost of sin is death. 
And so we stand as convicted criminals awaiting the carrying out of the sentence. We must die, body and soul, for our sin, or someone must do it for us. And until that sentence is carried out, we're dead even though we live, because we're cut off from God. He is the essence of life. Communion with Him is of the essence of life. And because of our sin, we're cut off from Him. However, we heard from Colossians 2, God has provided life for sinful people, has provided life for those who are dead in sin through Jesus. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. And He was able to forgive our sins. He was able to restore us to life only because of what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, He nailed all of our sins, all of our rebellions, all of our wickedness to the cross. He died so that we might live. So that's the first aspect of justification that we needed, that Christ accomplished, is forgiveness for sin. But there's also another side to it. And that's our righteousness before God. It's not enough for us to be without sin. God is entirely just. And He will hold us accountable for doing what we were created to do. Kids, what were we created to do? Were we created just to have enjoyable experiences? Were we created just to learn? Were we created to accomplish things? No. We were created to serve and to glorify God. Now in sin, we don't do that. Even the the things that we do that look good are actually bad because they're done with poor motives. And they're not done with the aim of glorifying God. And as long as we live in the flesh, as long as we live in this world, even our best deeds are stained with sin. Right? We can't do anything that's truly righteous. But Jesus gives us what we lack. Colossians 2 verse 11 says, We have put off our sinful nature. It no longer binds us, nor does it count against us. And more than that, when we belong to Christ, when we have faith in Him, God regards us as possessing the righteousness that is Jesus. Isaiah 61, in verse 10, the prophet celebrates the great treasure that would be given by the Messiah. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For Listen to this. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What a beautiful image. It's saying that that Jesus' righteousness covers us like a robe, like a coat, so that God looks on us and He doesn't see all the sins that we've committed. He doesn't even see the imperfect attempts at obedience. He sees the perfect righteousness, the absolutely flawless holiness that belongs to Jesus. How do we get that? How do we get that forgiveness from sins and that perfect righteousness of Christ? We get it through this gift that we call imputation. Imputation is the applying of one person's works to another. Counting them as belonging to that other one. An illustration. Kids, 
I think I think I know your families well enough to know most of you uh, have to help out around the house, right? You're not just passive bystanders who are waited on hand and foot. Your parents expect you to help out, right? That's a good thing, believe it or not. It teaches you to work. It teaches you to value uh, the ability to accomplish things. It gives you skills. But let's say, let's say your room's getting kind of dingy. Mom and dad decide it's time to paint it, right? And they say, this would be a good learning experience for you. We're going we're gonna to bring all the stuff in your room to the center of the room. We're going to put down some drop cloths, and you are going to paint your room. And so you do it. But you've never painted a room before. So you don't really do all that great a job, right? They give you the tools, and, and they try to teach you how to do it. But like a teenager sometimes does, you're like, I got it. I, got, I know what to do. And, and so there's paint that gets spattered a bit on the, the trim. And, and there's smudges along where the wall hits the ceiling so that there's not a clean line and it looks really kind of sloppy. And, and there's places where you can see that the, the brush strokes aren't going the same way and it just kind of looks chaotic. But you did your best. It just looks like you didn't do that well. Let's say you do that and then you go away for the weekend maybe to a friend's house. And while you're gone, mom or dad goes in, looks at it, picks up the brush and the roller, and all the places where you goofed up, where you weren't very neat, they fix it. And all the places where you got trim, got paint on the trim, they paint over that. And all the places where you smudged the ceiling, they get some ceiling paint and they cover that. And the next week your grandparents come and, and they get to stay in your room because it doubles as the guest room. And they look and they say, wow, this is beautiful paint. And they look right at you and they say, you did a beautiful job. That's imputation. Somebody else did the perfect work that is applied to you. That's what Jesus did. He died the death that you deserve to die. And God looks at you and says, your debt is paid. Jesus did everything that God commands man to do. Perfectly. He was perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. And when you trust in Jesus, God looks on you and He doesn't see the ugly smudges and the, the mess that you've created. No, He sees the perfection of what Jesus has done. That's imputation. That's what we receive when we trust in Christ. Think of what we read in Colossians 2. You were dead in your sins and your sinful nature. Someone who's dead can't help themselves. They can't fix themselves. They can't bring themselves to life. But Colossians 2 verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. God did it for you by joining you to Jesus. Verse 12 says that you were joined to Christ through your faith. His suffering paid for your sins. His death counted as yours. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, You are righteous in Christ. Everything He did is counted as yours. And all you must do is rest in His sufficient merits. Rest in His perfect work. 
Remember we talked about sufficiency last time? What he did is enough. It's enough to forgive you. It's enough to, to make you righteous in God's sight. And our confession says, rightly, all of this becomes ours when we believe in him. In other words, we, if we trust in Jesus, have no need to worry. You've no need to worry about God's judgment. You've no need to worry about death. You've no need to worry about eternity. Our world is terrified by death, isn't it? Why was COVID such a big deal? Because they didn't know how severe it would be, and they were terrified of dying. We don't have to be terrified. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be fearful. Yes, death is still our enemy. And we still grieve it because it separates for a time those who love one another. But it's just for a time. Because if we're in Christ, we're not really dying. We're leaving this place of existence, but we're going into the fullness of the presence of God because we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ but only if we rest in Christ's sufficient merits. But we need to add something to that. To that truth that we believe, that we're resting in Christ's sufficient merits. See, we can be confident that Jesus did enough to forgive us our sins. He did enough to make us righteous. But we must believe that Jesus alone has done this. That's absolutely essential. Only Jesus is the cause of our justification. And so the second thing we need to see here is that we must, we're called to reject every other hope. That's important. Because our temptation is to follow the example of Adam. When Adam heard God approaching him in the garden, what did he do? First he tried to cover himself. Then he tried to blame his wife as though it wasn't his fault. You see, Adam, when he was trying to cover himself, and when he was trying to, to pass off the blame on his wife, what he was doing was relying on himself for justification. He's trying to push off that sin on someone else. He's trying to appear to God as though he's righteous in himself. But that never works. And yet, the temptation comes natural to every one of us to try to do it. Usually it's not as evident as Adam's attempt. Usually men try to trust in themselves and in God's mercy. Or they'll conceal their trust in themselves by the way that they speak of it. The form it takes varies widely. But in whatever form you're trusting at least in part on yourself, and that's what ruins you. Paul warns us strongly against that in Colossians 2. He says, don't trust in human rules. Don't trust in human behavior. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Those are the rules on which people rely, believing that if they just keep these rules, if they just do these things, they can be confident before God, but it's a lie. We see it all around us. People take care to say certain prayers or to maintain certain practices. Or they avoid certain sins that they think are, are sure to condemn them, but but if they don't do them, that'll, that'll be sure to make them right in God's sight. Or they treat their bodies harshly. Or they avoid things that bring pleasure. Most of the rituals that they observe are not in themselves bad. But they become bad when, when we rest in them instead of in Christ. Look at Paul's analysis of these practices. Verse 22. 
He calls them human precepts and teachings, meaning they're not from God. Men have devised them. Men have come up with them. See that all around us, don't we? Look on social media. If you just say this prayer, God is sure to bless you. Right? We're tempted to think that way ourselves. Well, if I, if I belong to the right church, if I go to worship... But that's all what I do, what I accomplish. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. People look on them and they think, well, yeah, I guess if I did that, I'd have confidence before God. That's one, by the way, that's one of the appeals of both Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. There's a lot you can do. It makes you feel confident. Well, I've, I've lit this candle. I've gone to confession. I've done my penance. I've prayed the rosary three times today. I've, I've said my Hail Mary. Now I'm right with God, right? They feel like they've done what's necessary. I've, I've done plenty, right? But they're resting in themselves. Eastern Orthodoxy, the same thing. Well, I prayed to these icons, and I've, I've learned Greek so that I can read the Bible in Greek, and, and you know they, they see the smells and the bells and, and all the physical accompaniments of their worship, and they think that makes them right with God. It has an appearance of wisdom, but he says they are of no value. They're of no value because it's all stained with sin. It's all stained by what you've done. Same thing holds when we trust in other creatures. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. It doesn't matter if you're trusting in the traditions of your forefathers or you're trusting in the intercession of saints or you're trusting in the efficacy of certain prayers by other people. The key is, and not according to Christ. He's the only one who died for your sins. He's the only one who ever has lived a perfect life absolutely shunning all sin. He is the only one, and therefore He's the only one who can make us right with God. Now, it's easy to point the finger at others. Oh, look at all those things the Catholics do and rely on. Yeah, we can look at that. That's fine. But we're tempted to it also. When we rely on belonging to the right church, on partaking of the sacraments, on knowing the right truths. None of those things are in and of themselves bad. Or when we rely on our feelings. Oh, I just have such a sense of peace. That's not a bad thing. But if we're trusting in that even a little bit, it's rubbish. Our confession says, rightly, if we should appear before God relying on ourselves or on any other creature, though ever so little, we should, alas, be condemned. We must reject every other hope save Christ. Jesus commands that we choose everything or nothing. We place everything on Him. Every shred of hope, every bit of comfort, or we have Him not at all. We need to examine ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. Am I trusting in anything else? Am I finding comfort in anything else? Am I seeking hope? You get the idea. Hear well the word of God. 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. There alone is true hope to be found. And if you would walk with Christ truly, then you must cultivate a proper understanding of who and what you are. And so our last point, we're called to recognize our own unworthiness. You see, this justification we receive from Christ, it must lead us to ascribing all the glory to God and humbling ourselves before Him. After all, our justification, the forgiveness from sins, the righteousness in the sight of God, we didn't do any of that. God gave it freely and graciously, so He deserves 100% of the credit, and we're called to confess that. Opportunities abound. Certainly in worship we confess that. Okay. But how about, how about when someone points out how calm you seem in the face of a loved one's death? Isn't that a beautiful opportunity to tell them about Jesus? And how you have comfort because you know this person trusted in Him and therefore death has no power over them? Or how about when someone remarks on the kindness you've shown? Instead of just basking in the compliment, maybe you turn the conversation to the kindness of Christ, which is so much more abundantly great than any kindness you could ever show. We need to be like David. We heard it in our, our call to worship this morning. Psalm 62. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And therefore he urges others, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That needs to be our passion, to confess that. thing is, for the natural man, it's impossible to turn all the glory to God. In the depravity of our sinful nature, we want at least some of the glory. And although Christians are freed from our sinful nature, we can continue to struggle against it. That's why our confession reminds us of the need to acknowledge ourselves as we really are. How are we? Naturally, we're sinful. Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we're rebellious. We need to remember that, not so that we'll go around really down on ourselves and, and depressed. No, but so that we won't be tempted to trust in us. We need to see that any time we rest in ourselves, we're lost. In fact, any good that we might do, we don't deserve any credit for that. That's what we were made to do, right? But we won't do anything that's truly good. Not of ourselves. We need to keep remembering that so that we'll rest in Christ. If we're to do that, if we're to grasp our own unworthiness, that means refocusing our hearts. That's why he urges us in chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, and if you trust in Him, you have been. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. As long as you're looking at things on earth, you're going to trust in yourself. Because you know what? You're part of the church. You're part of the church, and so you have a Christian morality. You have a standard that's higher than folks outside of Christ. And so you're going to look pretty good if you're looking at the world. If you're comparing yourself with other men, frankly, you're going to look okay. And you're going to start to feel pretty good about yourself based on what you've done. 
But if you're looking to Christ, if you're remembering how absolutely perfect and flawless He is, if you're remembering how perfectly, uh, how perfectly righteous and powerful He is, well, now you don't look so great. And so now you won't trust in you. You'll trust in Him. You won't rest in yourself. You'll rest in the Savior. And it's only when we keep our minds, our hearts focused on Christ that we'll be resting in Christ, trusting in Christ as we must. Beloved brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, the heart of the matter is this. If we are to be made right with God, it must be entirely by the work of Christ Jesus. That's why we confess that God justifies us because of Christ alone. In order to receive that which we most desperately need, peace with God, we need to be resting in Christ's sufficient merits. We need to be rejecting every other hope, and that means we need to be recognizing our own unworthiness. And that we do by turning to Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And if you do so, you will be abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful because You have done for us in Christ what we were never going to be capable of doing in ourselves. Forgiving us of our sins. Rendering us righteous in Your sight. Father, we stand in awe that You would love us that much. And we pray that You would help us daily to wrestle with the reality of what You've done and to celebrate it. Now, Father, we pray that You would enable us to keep our minds, our hearts focused on Christ and giving You all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.